Well, I hope you've been challenged so far by this study as we learn how to share our faith with others. Um, I think it's safe to say that everyone feels like this is an area where we can grow stronger. How do I talk to other people about what I believe? What do I believe? What do other people believe? So far in this series, we've learned how to talk to others about origin, creation. Uh, We've learned to talk to others about meaning. Why are we here? Now we're learning to talk to others about morality, right and wrong. What we find is that as we learn to share our faith with others, we must learn to discuss issues of right and wrong. Maybe you've been at the family party when, you know, somebody shares a moral opinion of politics or current events, and then a conversation starts, and then you're like, do I say something, do I not? Do I say something, do I not? Maybe there's a thread on your Facebook wall that blows up, and people have all these moral opinions, and you're like, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? You know, as we learn to share our faith with others, we have to learn how to find our voice. We have to learn how to discuss matters of right and wrong with clarity and with conviction. I picked up a copy of Time Magazine this week. It's called uh, Time Magazine's 2015 Recap Edition. You don't have to turn many pages before you hit moral arguments, moral situations that happened that marked our country and our world and many different moral opinions on how we are supposed to respond. Uh, On one page, you see uh, a picture of Hillary Clinton and questions about her emails. And on the next page, you see a picture of Donald Trump and uh, an issue with his chauvinism. And, And then you see a picture of the Supreme Court and questions about their legal activism. Then you see a picture of Taylor Swift and how she protested how iTunes pays their musicians. One moral issue after another, which leaves Christians wondering... What do I say? What is my voice? How do I talk to other people about morality? When moral conversations begin and it gets complicated and emotional, how do I share my faith with others? Well, you have to begin by knowing how the moral culture around you is arranged, assembled. And I think uh, an appropriate verse that summarizes the moral climate of your country is this, Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Welcome to America. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So how do I talk to people who want to do what is right in their own eyes? Well, let's pray and then we'll learn to speak with moral clarity to those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you looked down into humanity and saw a world in moral peril in need of salvation. Thank you that you came down in Christmas, that you took our sins upon yourself, that you washed them away at the cross. Thank you that you invite us into your household forever. Help us to learn how to talk to others in this world about right and wrong, light and darkness, in a way that is courageous and clear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this series is a bit different. Usually, we open our Bibles up to one place and we verse by verse go through a a passage. But um, in this series, I've been skipping around to different verses. So they'll be projected on the screen. You can jot them down in your bulletin. Don't feel the need to try and race around or keep up. It would be a little tough to do that. As we've been learning to share our faith, we've been trying to coach you because when a conversation breaks out, it's best to start with questions. It's best not to just start firing off your truth at the other person, but to ask them what they believe. When morality comes up, here's a great question to ask. 
Doesn't matter the topic. Doesn't matter what, what topic comes up. The topic can be, you know, a right and wrong call in a sports event. The topic can be, what do you think about police violence in the black community? The topic can be something related to radical Islam. It doesn't matter the topic. If you ask this question, you'll get off to a good start. Jot this down. Do you think morality comes from God? At any point in the conversation, just say, hey, do you, do you think morality comes from God? You can text this to somebody. You can put it on their Facebook wall when they make a moral claim. But say, you know what? Do you think morality comes from God? And then listen carefully to what they say. Some say, no, there is no divine moral standard. And in light of that, they are walking away from God in the moral conversation. Others say, well, sure, God's a part of my morality, but really what they're saying is, I can pursue a spiritual morality without God. In other words, I'm on a moral path that involves God, but my morality doesn't exclusively come from God. He's just a contributor. Listen carefully to what they say. Either way, If they don't say, my morality comes from God, they are subtracting God from their morality. If God's only a part, then they are subtracting God from their morality. They might not just say, no, I don't think morality comes from God, but that might be what they're living out. In our culture, this is what they're living out. They don't think morality comes from God, and they don't think morality should come from God. And everywhere you look, God is being subtracted from the moral conversation. He's being crowded out of our culture. The official word for this worldview is secularism. A secular world, the word secular literally means this world. It is a moral view focused on deriving your morals from this world. And secularism silences the spiritual voice in the conversation, meaning God has no place in how we define right and wrong and how we live that out. That's the secular view. America is now a post-Christian secular nation which means we no longer anchor our moral views in Christ or the Bible or the church or really anything religious or God-related. We get our morals from this world. That's the definition of secularism. Swept through Europe before it hit America, but it is here. Secularism is not just theoretical. It's very intentional. It's a push to remove God and religion from the public which can be seen graphically and blatantly when we actually pick up the Ten Commandments and get them out of our government buildings. What are we saying? We're saying we don't want God involving himself morally in our day-to-day life. Sure, he can mean something to you in your house of worship, in your home, but he certainly has no voice in the moral conversations of our day. This shows up all over the place. One small, insignificant place where you can see this is in our entertainment and media. Maybe you've watched the show Downton Abbey. I have not. But if you have watched the show Downton Abbey, think back. Have you ever seen prayer? No. Now, back in that day, whenever a family would sit down, this was a Christian country, and and their faith was spread evenly throughout their lives. They would always pray when they would sit down to a meal. Always. But there's never prayer shown in Downton Abbey. Now, is this an accident? Did they overlook it? No. Just this past week, the historical advisor who's involved in writing the program said that people never pray in this show because we don't want to offend a secular audience. 
you will never see the family sit down to pray, sit down to eat. The meal will always be in process, and that's because we didn't want to show prayer. You might think this is a conspiracy theory, but this is one of the writers of the show saying we intentionally remove the spiritual from the show. This is sad because this is a day and age back in the, in the setting where God had a voice. So they don't just want to silence God's voice now. They want to take his voice out when he was talking in the culture. That's secularism. They even had a conversation in writing this show about how they should set the table. There was a moral dilemma because the napkins back then were even folded to resemble a bishop's mitre, which could be construed by some as a religious symbol. So they had a conversation over how to fold the napkin in the show. They decided to change history and fold it in the shape of a triangle so as to not possibly offend a secular viewing audience. This is the reality. The reality is a secular worldview intentionally removes traces of God throughout entertainment, throughout culture, throughout government. Do you think morality comes from God? Our culture would say no. They would say it doesn't and it shouldn't. What's your moral voice? What's your view? Jot this down. If you have a chance to share your faith with others, say this. You know what? I get my morality from Christ. You want to know where I get my morality? I get my my morality from Christ. Don't just say God. The Muslims can say they get their morality from God. Jews can say they get their morality from God. You have to say Christ. We get our morality from the person of Christ. In Colossians 1.28, we'll put that up on the screen, it says this, Him we proclaim. Notice it's the person. It's not even like Jesus came down and had some good things to say to humanity. He was the thing. He was God's voice. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present. There it is again. Everyone mature in Christ. Christ is where we get our morality. We believe that the Bible teaches Christ gives us our morality and Christ teaches us morality. In the book of Romans, it's very clear. You have no moral currency in God's economy. In fact, you are so tremendously in debt, you can never pay off what you owe. Jesus comes in and he cancels your moral debt and he doesn't just stop there. He fills your account with his perfect moral righteousness. Literally, you get your morality from the person of Christ. And if he doesn't give it to you, you have no moral standing in God's court of law. It's not as if you're walking along, doing pretty good. You got a few oopsies, a few boo-boos in your life, you know, forgot to do that. It's not like you have some morality and then Jesus gives you some more. You have none. He gives you all. Jesus is our morality. He is our righteousness. The theological phrase there is imputed righteousness. Our morality literally comes from Christ in us. Therefore, we believe without God, we as individuals and as a culture have nowhere to anchor our morality. Our personal morality or our communal morality. Listen, without God, you can't present a rationally defensible moral law. You can present a moral law. I think A, B, and C. Where did you get that? You can't rationally defend why anyone should be held to any moral expectation if you get your moral law from yourself. This is really the next question you can ask someone. If you say, hey, do you think morality comes from God? And they say, I think morality comes from Christ. 
And then you can get to this question. Jot this down. Do you get your morality from yourself? I wouldn't recommend leading with this question. But in the midst of a moral conversation where people are sharing their view of right and wrong, just slip this in there. Do you get your morality from yourself? Almost everyone will say no. But if they don't get it from God, they get it from themselves. First, they'll say things like, no, 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 it's just, it's just the law. Okay, so you get your morality from government. What if you woke up in Saudi Arabia tomorrow morning and women aren't allowed to drive? Would that become your morality? No. Okay, so you don't get your morality from government when you disagree. You ultimately get it from you. Lead them to see that. If they don't get it from God, they get it from themselves. They won't see that right away. The bottom line is when God is not drawing the moral boundaries in a person's life, they are. And the boundaries of morality and decency have drastically changed since God was removed from the moral conversation. Here's another minor example. Again, I'm not mad about this, but I think it just shows what's going on in our culture. There's a channel called ABC Family. This channel has been named different things, but it's had family in the name for 30 years. And just now they've decided to change their name to Freeform. All right, channel can change a name, but why did they do it? They blatantly acknowledge that the word family is now too wholesome and it's driving viewers away. They found out through their surveys why their viewing audience is going down, which means they're losing revenue. And, and it's the word family. It's too wholesome. People want edgy things. They want to watch stuff that's not yesterday's values. So they have removed the word family, and now they're called freeform. And in an ad where they promote this new change, they say this, freeform, free to take whatever shape feels right, to push beyond the expected. This is where we break free. That reveals where our culture is going. You see, they're not saying we want to be free from this old standard so that now we can produce greater decency and virtue together. Our world defines freedom as freedom from morality, breaking free from standards of decency. The Bible doesn't call that freedom. The Bible calls that bondage. The standards have changed. And as a result... Our world is now filled with so much more immorality. Kids are being exposed to gross immorality at younger and younger ages in the name of freedom of expression. My daughter Cassie was at school uh, and she was just walking past somebody in homeroom class and and there was this girl watching something on a a computer and uh, and suddenly she couldn't believe what she saw. This girl was watching um, what would be the equivalent of an X-rated television program in middle school. And uh, my daughter couldn't believe what she saw, came home and told us later. I didn't really know much about this show, so I looked it up online and um, immediately set up an appointment to meet with the principal, sat down and I said, hey, are you aware that students in this school are watching X-rated television in class? That got his attention. And just to make a point so that he didn't think I was overreacting, I started reading to him a description I found of this program on Focus on the Family's website. It shamed me to read a description of it out loud, let alone to watch an episode. And the explicit nudity and sexuality and the gross violence and the blasphemy that was intent, there are no boundaries to what this show will put before the eyes of those who watch it. And here my daughter walks past it in her school. 
Thankfully, the principal was shocked. And thankfully, he sprang into action. But it's interesting, as I've told people this story, the reactions I get. Some people are like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We have become a culture without shame. We are not finding these better moral boundaries to draw. We are erasing moral boundaries. Without God, our culture has lost its capacity to be outraged at gross personal immorality. Sadly, when believers sink into the morals of the world around them, and when believers have no standards of what they will expose themselves to, we lose our witness. How can we tell people that we are offended or shocked or trying to hold to some moral standard when they get to define our morals for us? When we're swimming in a sewer, how do we tell people of being washed by the blood of Christ? Rabbi Zechariah said this, Shame is to the soul what pain is to the body. Shame is to the soul what pain is to the body. Shame alerts us to things that are unhealthy and damaging to our soul. He also calls shame an immune system against evil. And he says that if we take the shame away from our children and we dismantle their conscience and allow them to do and watch and see whatever they want, they've lost their immune system for evil. That's true of us as a country. We're losing our immune system for evil. Do you think morality comes from God? I get it from Christ. Do you get it from yourself? Those are questions that you can ask and statements you can make. And what you see undeniably in our culture is if you walk away from the standards of God, anything goes. Romans 1.28 describes this. It says this. We'll put it on the screen. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Please let that describe those around you and not you as you reach out to those who need the truth of Christ. Question one, do you think morality comes from God? Ask a person that. Where do you get your morals? Question two, jot this down. Do you think God's morality applies to all? Where do you get your morals from? Do you think God's morality applies to all? Now, this is where you might get agreement on the first one. Do you think morality comes from God? Yes, sure I do. Do you think it applies to all? No. We are not allowed to judge anyone else. What they believe is true to them. What I believe is true to me. And who are you to judge anyone else? Now, secularism is removing God from the discussion. What I'm describing to you now is called relativism. Relativism is the view that everyone's moral beliefs are equally true. The rules of relativism are this. You have no business morally interfering with anyone else. You cannot object to another person's view of morality and you cannot intrude on their morality. The ultimate height of this form of morality is individual expression and the ultimate sin is to get in the way of someone finding and expressing themselves. Do you think God's morality applies to all? In our world, it seems virtuous to avoid being morally committed to any one belief. And if you're one of those old school people who still thinks your thing is true for everyone, just keep that to yourself. Because we're a lot more open-minded these days. And we don't judge anyone else. Do you think God's morality applies to all? That's a great question to ask someone. Here's your voice. Here's our voice. Write this down. I think everyone is held to the moral standard of Christ. (laughs) Say that and then run. I think 
I think everyone is held to the moral standard of Christ. You're going to get punched in the nose if you say that. Just go ahead and make that your Facebook status this afternoon and see what happens. This is what we believe, though. John 12, 48 says this. The one who rejects me, Jesus says, and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Who are you to judge others? Well, you know, I'm really not, but I think Christ will judge others. John 5.22 says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Here you go, Son. What's in the box? All judgment. No one else in all of history was given this box, filled with the right to judge every man, woman, and child who's ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus has that. Well, Jesus said not to judge. No, he said not to judge hypocritically. He will judge. The Bible is crystal clear that he will judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What do you believe? I think everyone is held to the moral standard of Christ. We believe there is one standard for all, and it is Christ. We also believe everyone falls short of this standard. Jesus is not only the standard, he's my only hope of meeting the standard. My only hope of becoming morally acceptable in God's sight is by having his son in my life. I can't be moral without him. That's our witness. Do you think God's morality applies to all? You will get so much pushed back to that statement. They will instantly say, you are judgmental. I can't believe you're imposing your morals on others. Who do you think you are? So you've got to be ready with this follow-up question. Okay, Write this down. Well, do you think everyone's moral standard is equal? You sound like you're in favor of letting everyone decide for themselves. Do you think everyone's moral standard is equal? What you're doing is you're trying to get them to make a moral judgment of someone else. Because the moment they make a moral judgment of somebody else, they've broken their own standard. Everyone should be able to believe whatever they want. Do you think that's true of everyone? Well, not everyone. Wait a minute, I thought it was true of everyone. Who are you to judge everyone? anyone. Give me this list of people I'm allowed to judge. Because you just said no one's on that list. You have to expose their contradiction. They will say everyone's moral standard is equal. The bottom line is no one lives that way ever. Have you seen those Geico commercials, the recent Geico commercials where they say, if you're this, it's what you do. Have you seen that? My favorite one is that band, Europe, in the in the break room and Europe's coming out and it's the final countdown they're singing there's fire coming all up you know then there's this woman by the microwave kind of getting into it the microwave is counting down and then the line is if you're Europe you love final countdowns it's what you do if you want to save money on car insurance you go to Geico it's what you do listen if you're human you impose your morals on others it's what you do there is no one on earth who truly believes anyone can believe anything they want. No one. So when you say, I think there's a moral standard that should be applied to everyone, they believe the same exact thing. They're just not saying it. You have to show them that. They do believe this. They do believe everyone's moral standard is equal. They will say it. They think people are good regardless of what they believe or how they behave. And they think everyone is equally good. This is evidenced in a recent article about Madonna. Madonna was excommunicated from the Catholic Church long ago for something offensive. 
The headline says this, Madonna says she and Pope Francis send the same message. Grammy-winning pop singer Madonna said in a recent interview that she believes her shows send out the same message that Pope Francis preaches. According to the Christian Post, Madonna's current show includes the singer using a large cross as a stripper pole and dancing provocatively on a table that resembles the Lord's Last Supper. In her mind, this is, here's a picture. In her mind, she is morally equivalent, morally equivalent and equal to the Pope. No one can tell her she's any worse or better. The same. This is what they say. Shockingly, they will say that everyone's morally equal and no one can judge anyone. But this is not how anyone lives ever. Everyone imposes their moral expectations on others. Everywhere you look, there are people making moral evaluations of everyone else. Take, for example, in journalism. Who's this? Tell me who this is. Brian Williams. What did he do? What did he do? He doesn't think he lied. He misremembered. (laughs) He's still searching his soul, trying to find out how it happened to him. But he has not yet apologized. Seven months suspension with pay, demotion, or without pay. Seven months without pay, demotion, because he misremembered being in this helicopter that almost got shot down and, you know, firefight in the air and oops. Where is the relativistic view now? Well, you know what? He has a right to remember history however he wants. No one can morally interfere with what he's saying right now. No one's saying that. Everyone is morally evaluated. They look back, they find 11 times he's exaggerated the truth. No one is giving him a free pass to believe whatever he wants about his past. No one. Because that's not the way it works in journalism. What about sports? Who's this? Who's that? What did he do? What did he do? Well, some believe that the footballs were not inflated to the proper league-regulated weight, and therefore he gained an unfair advantage. So does it matter? Who are we to tell him what to inflate the footballs to? Everyone can do whatever they want. Not in sports! Colts accused him of cheating! Triggered an NFL investigation. Union got involved. A million-dollar fine slapped on the Patriots. They lost two draft picks. This sounds like we're morally evaluating individuals. In sports, who are we to tell him how to play the game? We are imposing a morality on him. He says, what's the big deal? And then he smashes his cell phone so no one can read what he said to the equipment managers. Why isn't he standing up and saying, I can believe whatever I want? What is he hiding? Where is all this moral evaluation coming from in a relativistic society? What about in leisure? This is Walter Palmer. He just wanted to go hunting. People sound a little upset with another human's moral choices. My goodness, you people. Let him do what he wants. Who are we to morally interfere with his leisure? No one was saying the relativistic view. Well, you know what? He can do whatever he wants. Who am I to judge? There was international outrage. In other words, humans were doing what humans do always, imposing their morality on other people. Go back to Saudi Arabia here. Here's a picture of women in Saudi Arabia. You know, it's really convenient and easy when you live in a Western society that previously held to Christian values and many of them are still lying around on the floor. 
It's very easy for you when you enjoy free speech and freedom of religion to say anyone can believe whatever they want. But if you woke up in Saudi Arabia and you were a woman and suddenly people are telling you the law of the land is you can't go anywhere without a male chaperone, would you be morally okay with that? I don't think so. What if they said you can't compete in sports because that would require a wardrobe change and your clothing would be scandalous if you competed in any sports, so no sports for you. Can we as a culture maintain this relativistic view to another culture? What you believe is fine for you. Or do we find ourselves morally involving ourselves in the cultures of others? Do you see what happens A relativistic world will say this, get inside your moral picket fence and stay there. And you are not allowed to come out for any reason and morally interfere with anyone else. And then they say that and then they look over and they see a Christian who's out of his box. And what do they do? Get back in your box. Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to all stay in our fenced-in areas. Who let you out of your box? Didn't you just say you're not allowed to morally interfere with anyone? Well, I only morally interfere with those people who are morally interfering with others. So you can get out of your box when anyone else gets out of their box? Yes! That's a contradiction! That doesn't make sense. Where do you get this moral license to police the values of others? Can I have one? No! What makes you the only one allowed to get out of your box? I don't get your rules. Doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem fair that you get to get out and nobody else does. The truth is, they don't act out what they say they believe. They say anyone can believe whatever they want. No one lives that way ever. It would be total moral anarchy. You wouldn't be able to question anything anyone else ever does. What they really believe, though, is this. See, in in allowing themselves out of their box, you have to understand that they're trying to get the world to a more perfect moral place. They just define it differently than we do. They think the best possible moral world is a world governed by moral independence. Meaning they think, if I could just get everyone in their little white picket yard, then the world would be the best possible moral place. You stay in your yard, I stay in mine, If we eliminate all moral interference, then the world will be a perfect place. Listen, Christians, we don't believe moral independence is the solution to evil. We think that it's the source of evil. We don't think moral independence is the solution to evil. We think it's the cause of evil. So we cannot be compatible with the culture around us. Everyone imposes a morality on everyone else. The question is, which one are you going to impose? Our answer is Christ. Don't get drawn into, who are you to judge others? It's as if you're trying to impose a morality on others. So are you. You're doing it with your own morality. I'm doing it with Christ's. Call their bluff. They're playing the same game. They just have a bad standard. Do you think morality comes from God? I get it from Christ. Do you get your morality from yourself? Do you think morality applies to all? God's morality? I think everyone's held to the moral standard of Christ. Do you think everyone's moral standard is equal? Do you really live that way? Here's a third question you can ask. Do you live for the God who loves you? See, I think morality comes from God. 
I think God's morality applies to all, and I live for the God who loved me and gave me righteousness. If there is a God and he has moral expectations of you, you should live to please him. If there isn't a God, you are your own moral master and you will live to please yourself. In the book of Romans 5, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a really, really important point. Please, please hear this. Whenever you have the chance to talk about morality to somebody who believes what the world's teaching them, always talk about love. Always. And, and talk about love for Christ. Talk about how Jesus loved you and he came into the world to save you from your sins. Talk about how you love him and how you make all moral choices in response to his love. You know, you know why I don't go see that movie? Because I love Christ and he'd be upset. Do you know why I don't? You know why I'm working on my marriage even though it's hard? Because this is what Christ wants me to do. Talk about your love for Christ. Do you know why? Because the reason that our culture has adopted this new moral standard is they truly believe in the depth of their hearts that they're making the world a more loving place. And they think you with your old book and your hateful speech and your rigid view of, you, you're making the world an unloving, cold, divided place. You have to talk about love or you won't get a hearing with them. And you have to talk about the love of Christ. Jot this down. Here's what you can say. Hey, I live for Christ because he died for me. Listen, you know what? When I'm trying to figure out how, to, I don't know everything, but when I try and figure out how to make a righteous choice, I just live for Christ because he died for me. You are testifying that your life does not belong to you, but it belongs to another. Philippians 1.21, you know the verse, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Talk about your love for Christ. Our world doesn't understand Christ's love. They don't know why Jesus came into the world. They certainly don't care that he died on the cross. They the love of Christ doesn't mean anything to them. And why should it if they don't think they need to be saved from anything? Imagine if you're on a cruise ship. There you are, standing by the deck, watching a beautiful sunset. And the vessel is seaworthy, and you're having a good trip. And then some lunatic comes up, and he's like, I'll save you! And he jumps over the side and drowns. And you're standing on the deck like, what a moron. That's how our world sees Christmas. Save me from what? I don't need saving. Nice job dying. You're a fool. The love of Christ means nothing to those who are trusting their own righteousness. They don't need it. At the heart of it all, they're not living for Christ. They're living for themselves. You can ask this question. Boy, if you get to this one, will it be a rumble? Ask them this. Do you live for yourself? You know what? I live for Christ because he died for me. I live for the God who loved me. Do you live for yourself? The, the conversation will get warmer. If you ask, do you live for yourself? They won't come right out and say, yes, I do. Because it sounds selfish. But look around. They're trying to make the world a more loving place. But what kind of love are they trying to infuse within our culture? What kind of love do they think will bring this world to the best possible, loving... What are they trying? Listen. What they're trying is self-love. They think the world would be the most loving possible world if everyone would just 
be so radically, courageously devoted to themselves that somehow intolerance and discrimination would just go away. You need to understand this. Self-love is the flux capacitor of their morality. Self-love is is the arc reactor in the chest of Iron Man to them. Self-love. If you don't understand the importance of self-love and that this is their gospel, you won't get to the foundation of what they believe. You'll be swatting at the branches, but you won't get to the trunk of what they're trying to do. They're trying to change the world to make it a more loving place. What kind of love? Not love for Christ. Not even love for a fellow man. Love for self. They believe in self-love. The ideal world would be filled with universal self-love where no one is interfering with a person's love for themselves. They think it's a superior love to let people just figure out themselves without anybody getting in their way. Listen, there's nothing commendable about a life filled with self-love. Self-love is the default setting of the human heart. It's automatic. You automatically care for yourself. And it doesn't matter if we glamorize it or moralize it or legalize it. We're just putting makeup on self-love. Our world is not saying, I love you. Our world is preaching, you love you. You love you. That's not love. A world of people loving themselves in the company of others is not a loving world. We disagree with the loving message they're preaching. And let me just say this. If you're buying into this mush, maybe I could just let them believe what they want and they'll be okay. I could just not interfere with what they're saying. What you're saying is the love of self is better for them than the love of Christ. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe on the day of judgment when someone appears before the throne of Christ and they're like, yeah, I've done a really good job loving myself. Here, I just filled out my report card in advance for myself. I'm heading into heaven. Is that going to fly? And when they go off to hell forever and they're burning in torment and you never said anything to them because you didn't want to get in the way of them loving themselves, will they ever thank you? Never. They will never thank you for letting them love themselves. Ever. Listen, the best way to make the world a more loving place is to love Christ, not yourself. The highest desire you can have for another person is to see them loving Jesus, not to see them loving themselves. Self-love is not this higher place that we are going to as a culture. In fact, filling the world with self-love is like filling the Titanic with ice water. Self-love will sink your soul to hell. It'll sink your world to hell. The more self-love you put in the culture, the lower it will sink. And a world filled with people freely loving themselves is not a moral world, which is why we have an immoral world. What do we believe about this? We believe, we believe Christ's love is the most loving force in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the best of all possible worlds is a world filled with people who are controlled by the love of Christ. Do you believe that? Listen, do you believe that the best of all possible worlds is a world filled with people whose hearts are controlled by the love of Christ? If you really believe that, you will stop telling them to love themselves. You will start telling them to love Christ who died for them. The gospel is at stake. If you take steps away from people and say, believe whatever you want because I love you and I don't want to hurt your feelings, you are stripping them of the love of heaven. 
It's not love. Self-love is not love. Saying you love you is not the same as saying God loves you. Our culture is preaching the wrong moral message. It will take no one to heaven. And really, this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came from heaven to rescue people from loving their sin and loving themselves. Whenever you get a chance to discuss morality, listen, whenever any moral topic comes up, tell people that, you know what, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm immoral. But God loved me. Jesus died for me. And Christ's great love for me is my only hope of being found acceptable in God's court of law. And because he loved me, I live to love him. I know we don't agree on everything and you see things differently, but I just really need you to understand, these aren't my opinions. I'm living this way because I love Christ, because he loved me. I'm not living for myself. When you say that, there will be a dagger straight to the heart because their selfishness will be exposed before God. Talk to others about morality. Don't be afraid of getting into the fray of moral conversations, but always ask them, where do you get your morals? I get them from God. Do you think that your morals apply to everyone? Sounds like you do. And uh, do you just live for yourself? Because I live for Christ. If you have that conversation, the other person will walk away seeing the world differently. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas. What wondrous love you have displayed. Lord Jesus, that you would step out of your own kingdom, that you would walk away from your own glory, that you would release yourself from your own comfort. What love that truly is. That you would live in this world separate from all immorality and yet reaching out with love. That you would die on the cross and on the third day be raised again. And that even after this world threw you away, you would look down with love for the lost. Jesus, what love you have for us. And I just wonder if there are any here this morning who have been living for themselves. Sure, maybe you have been part of their self-love. Maybe you have been contributing to their own selfish rule of their lives. But maybe it's time that they see the truth. Maybe right now they realize that they have become their own masters, that you will not accept them. I love what your word says, Jesus, that if we love you, the Father will love us. All of your affections for us, Father, are bound up in your Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Maybe there are some this morning who want to repent of their love for sin and self and turn toward the great love of Christ. Maybe they want to admit that their soul is lonely and barren, empty, that their self-love has done nothing but sink them lower into despair. Maybe they want to cast all that out, be filled with the living water of Christ. Lord, for those who are ready to receive the love of God, may they pray this in their own hearts. Father, I repent of my love for myself. I repent of my love for my sin. I walk away from the moral sewage this world is feeding me. I'm done living for myself. I want to live for Christ. Lord, forgive them. Fill them with the truth from heaven. Fill them with the eternal love of God. 
Help them to know that because Christ is in them, your affections will never leave them. Jesus, give them righteousness. And then day by day, teach them righteousness, the righteousness of God. We pray that you would bless our conversations with others, Lord. Open doors that we might share just how much you've loved us. Break through, Lord, the blindness of others. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name.